Thank you, David. Hello, everybody. Nice to see you here today on this Sunday we call Palm Sunday. It's the first day of the week when Jesus entered Jerusalem and the week ends with Jesus being crucified. That's how we think of this week and we remember what Jesus has done, and we sometimes refer to it, as David has already, as Holy Week. It's traditionally the Sunday on which people think of Jesus entering Jerusalem. And it starts this really remarkable week in Jesus' life. It's not just that he entered Jerusalem at the beginning of the week, nor that he died at the end of the week. But the whole week is amazing. And all the things that took place are incredible things. If you have questions about Jesus, I would suggest you look at this week to find out what it's all about. If you want to understand Jesus, look here at this week. For this week, above all other weeks, will help you to understand what Jesus is all about. Of course, there are many people who have questions and many people who have um, queries about Jesus, why he came, what happened, was he an ordinary man or just a, a, a traveling teacher or whatever. Who was Jesus and what did he mean? In fact, I was reading just the other day, even some of the people that you watch on television are beginning to, for the first time, to think seriously about Jesus. Robbie Williams, for example, has said recently he regrets some of the songs that he once recorded because one or two of them mock the Christian message. And he says that he comes to think that there is something here that he must discover for himself. Chris Evans, this last week, has said very similar things. He too is beginning to look at what Jesus, Jesus came to do, who he is, and the relevance of it. They're not the only ones. And of course, we just happen to know them because they're on television. But many people today are asking about Jesus. And of course, it's sometimes difficult to answer everybody's questions. If you ask the really big questions, it's not always easy to answer those questions. Let's have a look at a video clip that just tells us that. Young to be worrying about things like this. No, I'm proud of her. I love it. 
Isn't she such an independent thinker? If she's so independent, why can't she figure this out herself? <laughs> Listen, just get up there and tell her that God put us on Earth to help each other. It's simple, it's direct, it's a good way for her to live her life. What are you talking about? That doesn't answer anything. Well, what are you telling me that God said, hmm, Earth, let's see, what shall I put there? Hmm, that's your God? <laughs> yeah. No way. It's got to be deeper and cool. It isn't easy to answer the questions that life throws up. I mean, what is it all about? What do we make of things? And there aren't answers to some of the questions, and anybody who claims to know all the answers to all these things is probably a liar in other things as well, because we don't know all the answers. But the Bible does give us the basic truths about what life is about, and particularly what God wants in his relationship with us and how we can enter that relationship. And to find that out, the last week of Jesus' life upon earth, before he was crucified, not the last week of his life, but the last 
week before he was crucified, is one of the key times to look at. And uh, we read earlier the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem. It started right at the very beginning of our, our, our time, and David uh, read it to us. Um, it starts with Jesus riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. That, as David said, is a quotation from Zechariah chapter 9, which is in the Old Testament, several hundred years before, well, 700 years before, that says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, and a colt of a donkey, uh, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus, right at the beginning of the week, intentionally fulfilled the prophecy to declare who he was. The king is coming. The king comes. In he, what he was saying was, I am the one prophesied. And then he went into the temple afterwards and found people selling and buying and so on. And as we sometimes refer to it, he cleansed the temple. He cast out those people who were corrupting the temple. Matthew 21 talks about that. And Isaiah 56 is being fulfilled. I will give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And when Jesus cast out the money changers, he quoted that verse from Isaiah. One of the passages where Jesus' passion for his Father's glory is seen. And it spilled out as he drove out these money changers in the temple. What he's saying was, I'm the one who is prophesied. And then he healed the people, we are told, Matthew 21. I mean, traditionally, people think of Jesus like this, going around healing people, and indeed he did. But that was just fulfilling Isaiah 35. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, God will come. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf, un deaf unstopped. Then they will leap for joy, uh, for joy like a deer, and those with muted tongues will shout for joy. What he was saying was, I'm the fulfillment of that prophecy. And then he welcomed the children in that first day as he entered Jerusalem. Jesus saw the children amongst the others shouting. Matthew specifically tells us that it was the children who were shouting. And they were shouting in the temple too of praise to God. Hosanna in the name uh, uh, to the, the son of David. But Jesus then quotes Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens, for from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. And when Jesus came and the children shouted, he said, that's that prophecy being fulfilled. I'm fulfilling the prophecy. So whether it was to do with uh, Jesus coming and welcoming the children, or whether it was to do with healing people, or whether it was to do with cleansing the temple, or whether it was coming riding on a donkey. On each occasion, Jesus was saying, look, I'm fulfilling the prophecy. I'm fulfilling the prophecy. I'm fulfilling the prophecy. So it's the start of an extraordinary week for Jesus. But there's something more than that. Uh, um, last Wednesday, I was speaking at Coffee and Chat, which is a, 
a um, meeting on Wednesday morning for those who drink coffee and chat. <laughs> Said what it says does what it says on the tin in we meet at Hillview, and I happened to be speaking there, and um, I just reminded folk then about the whole picture of Jesus. Let me, me remind you, it really is surprising that within, the, within a few days of today, a third of the world will be thinking of Jesus. This person who was born in obscurity, raised in poverty, had peasants as parents in an unknown, run-down village on the outskirts of the Roman Empire. He never led an army. He never led a battle. He never traveled outside his country, except very briefly when he was a baby, taken by his parents. He never wrote a book. He was never highly educated in formal education, as we know it. He never led a revolution. He had only a handful of close followers. He was arrested as a troublemaker, and he was executed as a criminal. He had only a few dozen who trusted him. And amongst them, hardly any, if any, were influential people at all. Yet, we're told that within one or two generations, within 50 years, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord and knew about Jesus. All the residents. I mean, that's extraordinary. Historians down the ages have puzzled over it. How can it be that within a generation or two, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. But they know it's true because the churches were springing up everywhere. Why is it? How is it? What's it all about? And today, millions worship him and over the next week or so, billions will be thinking about Jesus. Now, why? Was it because he came in riding on a donkey or because he helped the, uh, praise the children or because he healed some people? What was it that made people so extraordinarily fascinated by Jesus till all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord within 50 years? Well, when you examine Jesus and look at his story and what it's all about, his life, you find the amazing thing is that the key to understanding Jesus is actually not his life at all, but it's his death. Now, when you think of people who are famous, the way they like to be remembered, of course, is how they lived and what they achieved during their life. But the thing that captivates us about Jesus, yes, his life and his extraordinary teaching and all of that, but the key issue was what we'll be thinking about this week, the death of the Lord Jesus. And in particular, two aspects, why he died and the fact that he died at all. They are the things that people will be thinking about. So why did Jesus die? What was it about? What was he doing? Why is it so extraordinary that we should think about it even 2,000 years later? Why? Well, let me mention a few things it's not. The cross of Jesus, the death of Jesus, was not the failed end to a remarkable life. Few people... Even his worst enemies, few people doubt that Jesus lived a remarkable life. Everything and he did and everything he said captivated people. So that even when soldiers were sent to arrest Jesus, they went back to Herod and said, we couldn't arrest him because never 
did a man speak like this man. His actions brought ordinary crowds together. But his death at the end of his life that we're thinking about this week was not defeat or failure. It was at the height, the height of Jesus' success. Prophecy 750 years later, God said that his death and suffering would satisfy him. Something was going on. So his death was not the failed end to a remarkable life. Secondly, it was not the inevitable end because of the lifestyle that he lived. Of course, if he lived differently, it wouldn't have happened in the way that it happened. But as he was preparing for death, he said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord, of my own will. And he said to Pilate, you would have had no power to do this unless it was given you from the Father in heaven. Of course, it's true that wicked men plotted against Jesus and throughout his life. But his goodness and his holiness and his uprightness, his wisdom, his justice, his expressions of love, they were the remarkable things. In no way did they deserve death. It was not the inevitable result of the lifestyle he lived. Thirdly, his death was not because everybody deserted him and fled, though they did. A few followed him right up to the end, but only a few, but they didn't. They kept their distance at the final days and the final hours of Jesus' life. They were worried, they were concerned, unless they got arrested and put to death as well. In fact, one of the most horrific things about Jesus' death was its loneliness. He was absolutely on his own. Culminating not only in separation from his friends and from men, but at the end, even separation from God. But that's not why he died. His death was not the inevitable result because everybody deserted him and fled. Then his death was not unexpected and unplanned. He didn't sort of come upon Jesus and he thinks to himself, oh dear, what am I going to do now? When he was arrested. In fact, long before the cross came, before anybody dreamt of him being put on the cross, before it loomed large in anybody's thinking, he was talking to his followers about what was going to happen, the fact that he was going to die for them, and they just laughed. We'll never let this happen to you, they said. No, it won't happen at all. But he said, this is for the very reason for which I came into this world. He was sent for that express purpose into this world, he says. The disciples saw the suffering of Jesus when it came as a judgment from God. After all, they were Jews and they thought that if God was on your side, then God would look after you and make everything happy and joyful. So when Jesus suffered, they said, God must have deserted him. That's how they thought couldn't possibly happen to the Messiah like that. But Jesus said, oh no, this is the exact reason for which I came, for which the Father sent me. And when it came eventually to go, into, to, go to Jerusalem, which led to Palm Sunday that we're thinking about today, when it says that he set his face steadfastly to go to Jerusalem, he determined to go knowing what was to take place. Place. He said it must happen so that the scriptures are fulfilled. And then his death was not the result 
of a weak man in a violent and hostile culture. We talk about Jesus as being meek and mild, and unfortunately those words have changed their meaning in the English language. They're now sort of insipid and weak words, meek and mild. But they don't mean that at all. They mean filled with strength and power. But under control. That's what they mean. And Jesus was meek and mild in those terms. He was not the weak man that sometimes people portray him, pallid and wan, and you see in the pictures. And it's amazing how so many artists paint him as such a feeble-looking person. I don't think he could have been like that, though we don't know what he looked like. We just know that there was nothing about him that would attract men to him. Nothing extraordinary that would mark him out amongst men. But just as at other times, when Jesus stood before Pilate and was arrested and was put on trial, it says that he was silent. Like a sheep before the shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. His death was not because he was weak in a violent culture. In fact, he said on one occasion... I could have, he could have called on 12 legions of angels to rescue him. In his own power, he could have come down off the cross. Now, I've just mentioned five reasons why Jesus did not come that are not the cause of his death, not the cause of focus for this week. Let me conclude. Well, let me, th- these, these five, let me add one more, and then we'll conclude with a couple of the actual reason for which he came. First of all, the one more reason why he did not come. He did not come to demonstrate that God loved us. Oh, of course, his death does do that. It's the most extraordinary demonstration of love. It's the most explicit explanation of what true love really is, that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Yes, it's an extraordinary picture of of love, but he didn't come just to show us that God loved us. If he needed to demonstrate that God loved us, well, or that he loved us, I mean, what a way to do it. It's rather like a person saying, you loved a girl, and so I'll prove it to you. And I'm traveling across to the United States, and I'll prove how much I love you by jumping out in the middle of the Atlantic and trying to swim home. I mean, it'd be just ridiculous. It wouldn't prove anything. Jesus' death on the cross was an expression of love, but he didn't come just to die to show us how much he loved us. Neither was his death just the end of a remarkable life. In fact, it wasn't the end at all for Jesus. In fact, John tells us the real reason Jesus came. And in 1 John chapter 3, John lists for us, well, let me mention two of the reasons he did come that we'll be thinking about this week. John says this, 1 John 3 verse 5, you know, that he appeared to take away sins. Simple as that. The reason Jesus came, the reason Jesus died on the cross and went through all that he did that we'll be focusing on this week was to take away 
sins. It's not just the demonstration he loves us, but he came to actually do something. Now, how is that possible? Well, in another phrase that comes in in, uh, John's letter, he says this in chapter 2, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ the Righteous One who is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. In other words, the death of Jesus on the cross was doing something. It was not just a demonstration. It was not something he suffered. It was not something he went through because of wicked men and all the things I've been mentioning. He actually was achieving something. The death of Jesus on the cross was paying a price so that our sin could be dealt with. That's why I believe that all of us should be here next Friday to give thanks to God for his death on the cross. 10.30 in the morning, a good Friday. It's always a great occasion. And then on Sunday to think of him being raised from the dead and to celebrate the new life there is in the Lord Jesus Christ because he was raised from the dead. It's because the Father gave him to be the atoning sacrifice, not just for sin, but for our sins, for your sin and for my sin. His death took my punishment and your punishment. You know, in the New Testament, there are two words that are translated for, F-O-R. We only use the one word in English, but in the New Testament language of Greek, there are two. One is the word peri, and the other is the word huper. They mean different things. One is when we say for, like I went for a walk. I'm going home for lunch. For. It means that's what's going to happen. But the other word is peri, and it means on behalf of. I will pay for you to go out next weekend. I won't, but you know what I'm saying. For you. It means on behalf of you. Now listen to these verses. The high priest is selected amongst men to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins on behalf of. Romans 5 verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly on behalf of. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us on behalf of us. Mark 14 24, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many on behalf of many. Hebrews 2 verse 8, but we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone on behalf of. So the death of Christ was on behalf of us, for us. His atoning sacrifice was not just that something that happened out there that we should say, isn't it wonderful? He was doing it for us, on behalf of us. It demands a response because of what he was doing. It's the extraordinary thing about Jesus' death. John says, therefore, you know that he appeared so that he might take away sins. He bore my sin in his body on the tree. And let me just mention one other. If he died for sin, that's one reason. Let me mention one more in 1 John. 1 John 4 verse 9. He sent his one and only Son into the world so that we might live through him. 
That's the extraordinary thing. His death gives me life. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so I may be given new life too because of what he did on the cross. And this is the testimony that God has given to his eternal life. And this life is in his Son, says John. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So on this Palm Sunday morning, first Sunday in the month of April, let me ask you, as we think about Jesus' death, and we should be thinking about it this week and next weekend, not only his death and resurrection, Are you still one that looks back and says, yes, Jesus was a wonderful person. It's lovely to think about what he did for us. Isn't he loving? Isn't he kind? What a pity he suffered all those things. Or are you saying, Lord Jesus, thank you that your sacrifice was an atoning sacrifice for my sin. Thank you that you died for me. Thank you that if I'd been the only one who'd ever sinned, your death would have been exactly the same. The punishment that he bore then would have been exactly the same because you died for me. You died on my behalf. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And then to say, because you died for me, Lord, I want to receive from you that new life, being given new life, raised to new life, just as Jesus was raised from the dead to new life, so we might have new life in the Lord Jesus Christ as we trust in him. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a savior. How do you respond to such love? Join us, won't you, over this week in meditating on this remarkable week of Jesus and respond not only intellectually with our minds saying how wonderful it is, but with the, gift, uh, with the giving of our whole life to him and receiving his forgiveness and new life. Let's pray together. Out there amongst the hills, my Savior died. Pierced by those cruel nails, was crucified. Lord Jesus, you have done all this for me. Henceforward, I would live only for thee. Lord, there are so many things we don't fully understand, so many things that are still a puzzle to us. But we thank you for this week above all other weeks for the way it reveals to us what you did for us because you loved us. We pray that you will help us to be not only those who hear and understand, but those who act upon what you've done for us. To open our lives and commit our hearts and lives into your hands, that we might live for the praise of your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.